Execute Order 66. Welcome back, one and all, to episode numero cinco, number five. Order 66 Podcast. I am GM Dave. And I am GM Chris. What is up, Gamer Nation? What is up, GM Dave, man? How you doing, man? I'm okay. Just a little bit tired. And we are on time today. Remember, we might have been a day late, but I managed We're to on. drag my butt out of bed for my daughter's soccer game. No thanks to you, I might add. Yeah, I know. We were up a little late last night, and I do stress a little, well, rather a lot late, uh, playing Rock Band, um, uh, which... Uh, uh, my throat is a little scratchy after after belting out uh, a couple of those tunes, and yeah. uh, my fingers do hurt from from you know my my fat licks on that uh, fake guitar. It was pretty uh, pretty nice. Yeah, I know it's it's hilarious, and we need to uh, actually I need to uh, firmly give this uh, game a two thumbs up because uh, I got it for my birthday for my wife and my daughter, and it is simply amazing. I love it. It's so fun. Yeah, it's it's a lot of fun. It always cracks me up. I see these guys that are playing Guitar Hero, Rock Band. They're so awesome at it. I'm like, you know, if you put, if I put half the time into actually learning to play a real instrument as I did in playing that, you know, I could probably, you know, be a professional musician. But I wouldn't have these, you know, cool graphics on my on my television, you know. So it would, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. Well, thank you all for tuning in. As Dave said, this is episode five, and we're glad you all are here. Um, it's been a pretty crazy week, Dave. We've had, I think, more subscribers so far than we've had yet in the podcast. It's just, it's growing and growing and growing. The the number of forum members out there has been just, it's been explosive. And the amount of po- posts, and you guys have been doing what we've been asking. You've been posting uh, your questions, your concerns, your topics for discussion, uh, your campaigns, your adventures just everything i mean it's just been it's it's been amazing oh yeah and, and absolutely our our traffic has spiked and we picked up a couple of bloggers talking about us we picked up n world for example um that, that was uh, exciting for me to see yeah yeah i, I mean, somebody post, <laughs> yeah somebody posted up you know what we're doing and and that's you know it's kind of neat you know uh the wizards uh site uh screen whatever that uh gleam oh yeah the wizards of the coast um their their forum yeah i mean yeah. you know for for the, you know, the official saga edition forum yeah um we've got we've gotten quite a few hits from there and uh it's just really great to you know thank you guys for for listening and, and getting us out there and uh alerting other gamers to to us and uh, hopefully we can all come together and, and just make this a resource that we can all benefit from we you know i know dave and i really enjoy enjoy doing this and uh we're, we're glad to see that you guys enjoy it as well that's right. www.d20radio.com is the way you find us, and you can email us, GM Dave or GM Chris, at d20radio.com. Of course, and you can also join the community as well at d20radio.com slash forum. Remember, D20 Radio, where gamers roll. And with that, uh, we actually have had just, as we said, an explosion of forum activity. And once that started happening, Dave and I kind of talked about it, and we really decided to kind of respond to y'all's uh, requests to sort of 
answer some very specific questions about certain you know SWSE material. So this week we're going to be putting our class discussion on hold, and as we mentioned last week, we're going to be de- really delving into some deeper issues this week um, regarding some specific requests you guys have had. Um, our main discussion is going to focus really on two things. We've had some questions asked about building and running a good adventure. Uh, and, and overcoming some specific pratfalls and hazards in that area. And we're going to be talking about that. We're also going to be talking about building encounters, encounter design, and balancing CLs, challenge levels. Um, there's a lot of really good discussion to be had there. And uh, myself and one of the posters there, Dasis, had a really good conversation about this on the forum. So we're going to be delving into that as well. And what are we covering in our D20 docking bay, Dave? D20 docking bay, we're, we talk about very specific things. Last last week we kind of got off track and talked a, a long time about one specific topic, but um, Tal Akan, I think is how you say his name, on mm-hmm. our forums, um, indicated that he wanted to talk about the scout's total concealment talent versus a low light vision and how the GM would um, kind of balance the two, and we have a couple of solutions that we want to address there but uh, you know by no by no means is it going to be the do all end all but uh something yeah. that we want to talk about yeah but yeah yeah absolutely and as dave said you know the 20 docking but we really want to devote to a single you know rule instance so that's what we're going to, going to be what we're covering there and then also i think we're going to find time to fit in a uh, when good games go bad segment this week aren't we dave uh, we just might we just might. We've had we've had quite a few. So many of you have been posting your adventures and your campaigns and a lot of the problems therein on our forums. And we've got some really great material to share with the rest of the gamer nation and talk about uh, some of the problems you guys have been encountering. So, Time to spew some GM hate. Bwah. But I, before we get into that, I, I think perhaps um, I stopped by my mailbox this morning and uh, I did happen to check my mail and I, oh, I, I am no. staring at, at something right now. Oh my goodness. Do you have a bad feeling about this? Because I have a bad feeling about this. You always have a bad feeling about this. From across the galaxy, it's time for postcards from Commander Cody. Okay, what do we have this week? All right, well, this is a kind of cold and wet piece of paper. Ugh, let's see. Um, That's kind of a... It looks like just a giant white square on the front and there's these tiny little letters down the bottom you see that it says visit Hoff nice I wasn't aware Hoff produced postcards I didn't I wasn't aware they produced anything <laughs> well, snow and tauntauns maybe yeah um, <clears throat> let's see <clears throat> uh, dear GM Dave and GM Chris we are on Hoth this week we were on our way to stop some separatists but decided to stop on hoth for snow cones <laughs> that's that's pretty good what a butthead uh we have had so much fun general kenobi started a snowball fight with the other clones and everyone got involved but it ended poorly when one of the ARC troopers killed a snowball thrower with his thumb. Really? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, we made snow clones out of the snow and had more snow cones before leaving. It was the best time ever. That's, that's good to know. What a putz. 
And uh, he ends here by saying, um, uh, I hope you like snow cones, but even if you do not, you will have a good time on Hoth. General Kenobi says, hello, your friend, Commander Cody. Cody's the kind that is going to eat the yellow snow cone. (laughs) Yes. Um, Do clones even do that? I don't know. I guess they do. Yeah, of course they do. Couldn't you, like, breed that out? I don't know. Um, I suppose you could, but, I mean, I don't know. (laughs) Well, anyway, thank you for the postcard, Cody. This is going to go right up on the wall. Um, Tell the other clones hello, and we look forward to talking to you soon, man, hearing from you later. Yeah, I suppose I'll say bye. (laughs) Well, with that, let's move into our basic discussion for this week. Um, We're going to start our main discussion talking about um, building and running some good adventures. And uh, I think there was actually a a poster that that really requested this particular talk. Who was that, Dave? Um, Don't get me to lion. Artith? Ardith, yes. yeah, from England, uh, yes. yeah, yep, yep, yep. Yeah, in Chesham, that's right. Um, Ardith, out in Chesham, England, um, he actually, you know, requested that we talk uh, and give a, a little brief overview of a few topics. There was a lot he requested. We're going to focus on a few things here, kind of some lessons for some new GMs that maybe, you know, some problems they may be encountering with their early games, and maybe even some ideas for old GMs. Some of the things, you know, that we've solutions we've encountered to certain problems in the games we've run. And uh, one of the the main things he really wanted us to talk about was making each party member feel useful and needed. Um, Apparently, this is an issue that's come up uh, in a lot of people's games. Um, And I think it's something we we can all see. Those of us who've been playing, you know, role-playing games for a while, it's a constant battle. If you don't have a combat character, a combat-oriented character, and you're in combat, it's kind of, uh, you know, they can kind of be left out in the cold. But as a, a smart GM who understands the rules and is uh, trained at good encounter building, you can overcome that pretty easily. Um, a few things we do want to talk about, uh, including differing styles of combat in your encounters. When you're building an encounter, it's just really easy to focus on, on just entirely one method of combat. And in some encounters, it's kind of hard to avoid. But analyze your party. And I guess, I guess that's kind of the biggest thing we really want to talk about in this terms of making your party member feel useful. Analyze the party and see what their strengths are. If you have melee combatants like a Jedi, you know, or perhaps a soldier, you know, maybe a, a Gamorrean, you know, uh, vibro-axe-wielding behemoth, you know, who's, who's, who's a melee fighter, raw. make sure, raw, thank you, make sure everyone gets their due. You know, it's wonderful that you're pitting, you know, just a whole, you know, maybe a bushel of stormtroopers against them. But, you know, make sure that there's a, a melee guy in there as well. Mix up the encounter to match your party strength. If your party has melee combatants and ranged combatants, make sure the encounter does too, if you can. And more importantly, the what, what I call, I think I think we've experienced this a couple times, Dave, the bane of the encounter is what, what I call the square room. It's, uh, you know, a situation maybe you're, you're it often out, most times happens outdoors um, or, you know, in a, in a space station or a ship where you just have this basic flat, you know, 30 by 30 square yeah, to yeah. engage an encounter in. Yeah. And um, this is not too terribly bad for melee characters, but considering so much of the combat in SWSE is ranged oriented based on those ranged attacks, it can cause quite a bit of problem um, because so much requires you to, you know, I mean, so much of the strength of a ranged combatant is the fact that you can hide behind cover and do stuff like that. Right. So if you ever, if you ever watch the, watch the old Star Wars movies, you know, and the new ones, and you see all these just totally useless architectural features, like, you know, a power conduit running, you know, from the ceiling through the floor in the middle of the room, you know, or staggered like three at a time, or, you know, funky looking computer consoles that no one is sitting at, you know, just 
randomly placed in the center of these rooms. Right. Um, you know, this, this cracks me up, but these are, these are important things. Use them. When you're building an encounter area, provide this cover, provide this space. So, uh, the other thing we would recommend is, um, uh, non-attack options in combat. I really recommend, uh, Dave, I think it was last episode, wasn't it? That we, we talked about really focusing on, or, or was it the episode prior? We talked about focusing on non-combat options. Uh, um, environmental hazards was something that, that's where we ventured off course on the D20 docking bay. Last oh okay, okay. Well then, then, then we're we're good there. But I mean, yeah, we really checked some of the prior episodes. We really talked about those non-attack options, and what it comes down to, I think, is is skills, skills, skills. If you if you have a character that is not a combat-oriented character, they're going to be a skill-oriented character. That's kind of how it goes. And don't design an encounter that a skill of some type cannot be used in. Um, you know, environmental hazards like radiation leaks, you know, fire. Um, we, we ran a game a, a couple weeks ago where the, where the GM, um, bless him, he, he provided for our tech specialist by, we, we managed to get in a station, I remember this day, where there were the auto turrets everywhere. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah, and it it was you know everywhere we turned there would just be this you know and these auto turrets would would come down and and you know you got a Jedi that's deflecting these things you know and at the same time stormtroopers come around we're battling them well the tech specialist would run to a nearby control panel and, and try and slice in and deactivate it and all this would be done in initiative so I mean he's working to take out an enemy through the use of his skills um, while at the same time it, it really it really plays to things um, so stuff right. like that oh yeah I remember the rank war fight where. Um, I think the slicer oh, the, the slicer went over and and sliced into the computer terminal and dropped the cage on the ranker. That's right. I forgot about that. that. Was yeah, that was that was the old system. That was a long time ago. That was a great fight. That was one of the more memorable encounters we ever ran. Uh, where you know the the GM had a sort of a a, a mutated you know imperially engineered rancor um, that you know was was housed. Uh, I, I think it was like there was a series of cages hanging from the ceiling that had like food or bait in it. And yeah, he he ran over to the console that our slicer did, and uh, and and hacked in and and dropped a cage on it. It did some insane amount of damage to it and pinned it too, I think. Right. Um. You know, stuff like that. That's incredibly creative. Don't ever consider that your encounters strictly need to be attack, defend, attack, defend. There are multiple ways to provide an encounter and and give those party members the, the use they need. Just be creative and think about it and play to their skills. That's the most important thing. Um, the next thing we want to talk about, Dave, uh, what was it when, I think it was when players avoid plot. Going off plot, yep. Going, going off plot. And, uh, I think you, you yourself personally have done this to me many times, my friend. (laughs) Well, I I figure, you know, your mad GM skills need a test every once in a while, so I just need to fly off into the void every once in a, you know, blue moon. (laughs) Well, listen, this is, this is a legitimate concern. We're only going to talk about this very briefly. When you spend time as a GM creating a game, I mean, you spend you know hours, days, just building sometimes a single session. Um, and anyone who's GM'd will tell you, you know, it takes 30 seconds for the players to just totally say, no, I'm, we're not going to do that, and just go somewhere else. It's going to happen. Sorry. Yeah, always. <laughs> uh, it, it's just, it's going to happen. There's no way around it. Um, bad GMs will find this a point of great frustration, get pissy and whiny, they'll get frustrated with their players, and it'll usually lead to TPKs because they get so angry that when a situation comes up, they'll err on the side of their own frustration uh, rather than with their players. Or they'll and, railroad their party. Oh, wait, we're going to talk about oh, that later. Oh, yes, 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 or railroad their party, yes. And that's the other thing, too. It's going to happen. 
you know, you can try and avoid it, but, and as Dave alludes to, the one thing you should probably never do as a GM when this happens is railroad your party back into it. Now, you can try and lead them back into it, okay? You can provide a reason for them to get back into the plot, but railroading them there, I mean, your players aren't stupid. They're going to know, you know, what's going on, and it, it, it takes away from that suspension of disbelief when you do so. So I would almost say, just from my own GM experience, that it, it's more fun to flow with a new plot and sort of fly by the seat of your pants um, than it is to railroad your party. Right. So it's one of those things you're not going to avoid. Yeah. But two quick things to do to keep it from happening. Uh, build what I call a game holocron. Um, if you're going to spend hours and hours and hours building a game session, don't build a game session. Spend hours and hours and hours building a, a, a sort of, for lack of a better term, a game Bible. You know, maybe it's a notepad or a book that has NPCs of various levels and various CLs fleshed out, um, different you know, encounter areas, different maps, and draw from that resource as you need, and it can you know, make things a lot easier. It's almost, um, like making, uh, yeah. it's almost like making to draw from, from our experience. It, making a software application modular so that if somebody yeah. takes a turn you're not expecting, you've got resources that you can pull. That's precisely it. And, and that's the key right there, keyword right there. It's resources, resources, resources. Use your resources. I know GMs who you know, sit with a laptop open as they play just so they can have all this material available to them. You know, they can go online. They can do what they need to do. And a lot of, you know, it's just, you know, it's a matter of managing resources. So... Yeah, and uh, as a player, if you are going to, if if you don't like the direction it's going, and it's clear where your GM is going, you can make the decision or not to not flow with the plot. It really depends on the type of game you want to play. Um, But again, honestly, I really don't think the responsibility is on you; it's on your GM. So, for those of you who've written in having questions about railroading and stuff, that's that's kind of my opinion on that. What's the next area we're going to area we're going to talk about with this, Dave? Uh, Let's talk about not or. The choosing to destroy cannon uh, in choosing your game settings in certain eras. Well, that is an actually very interesting discussion, and we uh, we got into a discussion of this on the forums. You know, the, the the core rule book outlines three main eras you can play in. You know, which are really center around the main movies. You know, and a lot of players have expressed displeasure about displeasure about this because you know, fans of of games and comics, you know, they love the Kotor era. You know, where you're you're playing in the old Republic. You know, or or maybe the, you know the New Jedi Order. You know, the vast. You know, where you're fighting the Yuuzhan Vong and stuff like that. And they, they do have some support for that in the core, but um, beyond that, you're kind of at a loss as you don't really have much example to work with. Um, so when you're setting games. In these eras, you know, goodness, I mean, you run the risk of destroying canon. I mean, you know, who's the biggest who's the biggest BBG in the galaxy? You know, well, Darth Vader, the Emperor. Well, if your players decide they want to go take him out, do you let them? And what if they succeed? <laughs> you know, and Darth Vader is dead. What if you're playing, you know, uh, in you know, in the uh, the early early era, the first the first era, that rise of the Empire, and the players decide that they want, you know, they discover that uh, Anakin has turned, and they decide to slaughter him before he goes and slaughters a bunch of younglings, and thus never becomes Darth Vader. Right. Do you let them do that? Yes. Uh, what do you, what do you do? You think you think so, Dave? In a word, yes, because. There's, I mean, you've said it before, that there's really no, there are sacred cows, but why are there sacred cows in RPG? When we build an adventure, when we build our own little world, it is our own little world. I don't have to conform to Lucas. I'm sorry, I don't. And that's the opinion of a lot of gamers. 
Um, there's times I'm with it. There's times I'm not. Now, I will tell you this, though. Unlike virtually any other RPG out there, when you compare it to SWSC or any of the prior incarnations of the Star Wars game, you are dealing with more canon. I mean, these are these movies, you know, and these these films, these these games, these comics. They've established a setting that is is you know almost sacred to most people, and so the idea of messing that up really you know disturbs a lot of players and GMs. Mm-hmm. I personally happen to agree with you. I say let them destroy it. You know, I don't think that altering the canon for a single campaign of a Star Wars role playing game is going to you know cause the end of the universe. Um, or even a galaxy far, far away. A rip in the fabric of the space-time continuum. Yes, thank you, All thank right, you. Sorry. But yes, yes. But put your flux capacitors away. Um, yeah, you know. And the other option, if you really don't, if you don't buy that, and you don't want to mess with the cannon, don't give your players an option to destroy it. Right. Put, oh. Don't put them in situations. You know. Exactly. Honestly, I mean, I was talking with a gaming buddy of mine not too long ago uh, about this, and he basically said, you know, one of the things that bugs him about setting campaigns in the current eras is that his players can never meet. Darth Vader. Because what's going to happen? Either they're going to destroy him, and that can't happen because it destroys canon, or he destroys them, and well, then the game's over. Okay? Right. And that was kind of his philosophy. And uh, it's a good philosophy, but it, again, it operates under the assumption that you can't destroy canon. So, you know, it's, it, it's, it's kind of tough in that regard. Right. But uh, those are kind of the two options to deal with. Don't put him in the situation in the first place. Or let them destroy it, and because realizing there's nothing sacred about it. Or now, yes, thanks. Or and yes. <laughs> now this kind of flows into a different concept we had. Uh, who was it who emailed um, this to us, asking us to talk about alternate campaign ideas? This was Clacky, yeah, from this was Clacky, California. yeah, okay, in, in Santa Monica. Um, well, Clacky asked us to talk about some different alternate campaign ideas, and this kind of flows right into this. Um, basically, stemming from the same issue, you know, when you're playing in a certain era, you know, it, you have these problems that can come up. So he has said, you know, well, hey, how can you, how can you build a game where well, you're not going to have that problem ever come up? Um, and really, it kind of centers around those t- same two things we discussed. We have one fellow who has posted, I think it was, it was Ardith, posted um, his campaign on our forum. And it's like, what, set 4,000 years after the events in, right. in Episode 6? Yep. I mean, I mean, goodness gracious. I mean, the, the Jedi Order, as we know, it isn't even in existence anymore. So, I mean, that's, right. you know, and it, you guys can go on the forum and read his, you know, his campaign. It's, it's pretty stark and pretty cool. I, I, major kudos to the GM for coming up with it. It's very original. And it allows him to use the same rule setting and the force and the same technology and all of it and, and just add to it. But, you know, setting a campaign in the, in the far future or the distant past works. Now, D&D Rockstar posted on the forum, and he said, you know, one of the problems with this type of setting is the fact of this, what he called the technology barrier. Right. How, you know, if, it, if it's in the far future, is it, do you still have that suspension of disbelief when, you know, you're 4,000 years in the future, but there's no new technology? Okay. And one of the posting responses to that was, you know, well, hey, you know what? If you look at KOTOR, if you look at some of the, I mean, unless you get into the far, far past where, you know, the Jedi, you know, had lightsabers, you know, the size of toilet paper roll, I mean, you know, thickness and, you know, these huge, you know, power packs on their backs the jet, that the lightsabers hooked into. I mean, yeah, that's one thing. But even when you look at the old stuff like KOTOR, the technology was pretty much the same. Um, technology, the way it's built in this universe, seems to be almost a constant. Um, unless you get into really weird crap like the Yuzen Vong. But, um, you know, I, so I don't think it's that big of a concern. Other than that, um, in terms of the option of not letting your players get into the situation, I really like the idea, and a lot of good GMs do this, and I remember, Dave, we, we've done this ourselves. Have your players avoid the situation of being able to stop something from happening in canon by allowing them to facilitate it. 
Um, if you're running an evil campaign, maybe uh, you know the emperor and his minions contract you to uh, disable the security system inside the Jedi Temple to allow the younglings to be slaughtered by Anakin. Um, you know, or on the flip side, you know, if you uh, you know you you understand full well, or you you know that. Uh, that you know the the empire is going to ambush you know Han and Leia and the Strike Force you know on uh, you know the, the the forest moon of Yavin um, as they're attempting to deactivate the shield you know and you your players may want to stop that perhaps they have to be doing another task to allow them to succeed anyway so they can't even be close to the situation and not only does this prevent them from destroying that cannon but it will also allow them to be a part of that cannon does that make sense Dave it makes sense and before you send the hate mail he meant Endor. Oh, and oh, what did I say, Gavin? Yeah. Oh, my bad. Endor. It's it's Endor. <laughs> and we'd get emails about it too, you know. Every time we make a mistake, hey, you guys suck. You know. <laughs> yes, Endor. Thank you. Well, you know, little furry uh, midgets in suits tend to cloud my memory. Yes. Yes. But it, that's kind of the basic idea there. You know, if if you build a game where your players can can be a part of it, you know, they're, you know, and, and, and add to that canon and facilitate it, you can get a lot of good stuff going on. Yep. So anyway, yep. that kind of addresses a few of the concerns that, that you asked us to talk about, Arda. Thank you for bringing it up. And those are just some of the things that we've done in our games and some of the opinions we have. If you disagree with them, by all means, get on the forums, call me a poser, call me a loser, call me whatever you want, tell me I'm full of it. And uh, I really surprisingly enough would love to hear it and uh, so are the rest of the Gamer Nation so get on there we want to hear your opinions so now we're going to move on and talk more about building encounters um, balancing challenge levels or CLs uh, a topic that was brought up by the name escapes me was it Dasis? I think you're right Yes, yeah. it was. I think so. Um, I actually have got the forum up right now. Yeah, and I'm looking at it. Um, Dasis had posted um, a question that I think was was rather rather important. And honestly, this is this is a really a really crunchy question that has eluded a lot of people in the past. Um, and it deals specifically with making proper enemies and making proper CLs. And I mean, Dave, I know that. I mean, you you've checked the back of the book. The I mean, for for as, as cool as we find the system to be. I mean, one of the biggest complaints so far, and I really can't disagree with it, is the dearth of material that's out for it. There's only one supplement book out right now, right. and I don't think anyone's going to argue that the amount of enemies, the example enemies that are in the core rule book, is pretty bare. Very thin. Very thin. They don't have a whole lot. And, you know, well, you know what? For most experienced GMs, that's not that big a problem. You know, the rules are outlined for creating enemies, so you're just creating yourself. But the problem here, and what what Dace has kind of brought up on the forum, and he and I had a great discussion about, was the fact that the book is almost intentionally vague in this regard. Um, it contradicts itself, so it's, so to seem, in more than one place. Um, and so we're kind of going to delve into this and talk about how to not only uh, build characters with proper CLs and how to assign CLs properly, but also how to uh, to focus on one of the points of Dacis's question: how to quickly make uh, what I call mooks or uh, you know cannon fodder. You know, your 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 dozen stormtroopers are going to get blown up in one hit, or you know, by a single lightsaber thrust, because it's almost fun for a GM to sit there and tease out and make you know his or her own characters and and BBEGs and other bosses, you know, but Nobody wants to sit there and make 30 stormtroopers that are going to get blasted. You know right. what I mean? Yep. So, um, to kind of delve very briefly into some of the problems inherent in the CL system as presented in the book, um, 
there's three basic ways that these CL ratings can be generated. It's pretty obvious if you build a a baddie for your for your players to fight, and it ha- and that baddie has nothing but heroic levels, i.e., levels from the core classes or prestige classes, um, in the in the core rulebook. It is a one for one CL rating. So if you're fighting a uh, a fourth level noble, his CL is four. Okay, that, that's pretty simple. Um, but then we have these non-heroic levels, and the book is very clear about the fact that most of the people in the galaxy have non-heroic levels. Right. They're not heroes, mm-hmm. you know. Um, you know, your average stormtrooper does not have soldier levels. You know, they have non-heroic levels. You know, you know, four or five, six of them. And it's been brought up on other forums and some of the stuff we've been lurking on. You know, why even do this? Okay, and just personally, I think it, it adds a great deal to the fact that you know the, the PCs are heroes, and they're some of the few people in the galaxy that have the abilities they have. And it also stems to serve with continuity. You know, I mean, if, if Luke and Leia are escaping from the Death Star with, with Han Solo, and they blow away a Stormtrooper lieutenant, okay, that man, you know, if you, if you want to get into the depth of it, has been a Stormtrooper for years, okay? He's a lieutenant. He's got experience under his belt. He's got levels, okay? Does it make sense that a farm boy fresh off of Tatooine and an adolescent um, diplomat, you know, take him out in a single shot? You know, and th- that's kind of the question. Well, what non-heroic levels do is they, they allow for this. They allow that individual to, from, from a storytelling perspective, to have levels, to have levels of experience, you know, be an experienced person, but at the same time still can't match up to what these thematic and cinematic heroes are capable of doing. So that adds a lot. Personally, um, when I build my bosses, uh, you know, I usually give them at least one level of hero, um, usually the rest non-heroic levels. You know, if I have a, a Stormtrooper squadron and along with them is one commander, I'll usually give him a level of, of you know, noble uh, or t- level or two in noble and the rest non-heroic. Um, my super bosses, my BBEGs, my big bad evil guys um, that I'm building, you know, the, the huge campaign crushers, the, the big ending fights, they will almost always in my campaigns personally um, have nothing but heroic levels because they are a key feature of the story. Um, the way I kind of like to think about it is if you were reading a book of this campaign, who's going to have names? <laughs> who's ah, going to have names bosses. Yes, indeed. Exactly. And that, that's kind of what it comes down to. If your campaign that you just written it was turned into a book and you want to know, okay, who needs to be heroic? Who needs to be non-heroic? Okay. Um, if, if this character is worthy of a name, they need to have at least one heroic level in your story. If they're worthy of a chapter or several paragraphs devoted to their background, they're probably worthy of almost all heroic levels. Um, so that's that's pretty much it. You know, in you know, it, it, it's rare that you know the individual stormtroopers ever get named, and consequently, they're they're not heroes. So that's kind of the good way to judge. Don't diss on Cody. <laughs> Just don't diss on Cody. Please don't diss on Cody. He doesn't deserve it. Uh, but that's that's kind of where where I think that mechanic came from. But when you look at how these non-heroic levels are assigned, it's a little, um, well, it's honestly just a little arbitrary. When you actually look at how it's broken down, it's apparent that about four levels in a non-heroic class equates to a CL1, and that tends to be the the, the main guideline you should probably use across the board. But then again, I mean, and that's how it is when you look at Stormtrooper, you know, and, and other entries. But then you have certain incongruities in the book, like the Thug, okay, which is a, in the core rule book, the Thug is a, is a CL1, and he's only got two heroic levels. Uh, the Scout Trooper is a CL2 for six non-heroic levels. 
Um, or there's also the Arc Trooper, which is which is a CL eight. Um, and it's got six non-heroic levels, uh, three levels in soldier, and three levels in a re- in elite trooper. Uh, so it again doesn't make a, a whole heck of a lot of sense there, and you're kind of left to wonder what the pattern is. Well, as you kind of tease it out, you can look at a few differences. Okay, when you look at a scout trooper compared to a stormtrooper, you know what puts them above the curve and gives them that higher CL than what you would imagine their levels would normally be. If you look at the entry, it's pretty well armed. I mean, it has, you know, Scout Trooper has grenades, okay, um, which, you know, the regular Stormtrooper doesn't. Um, the Arc Trooper has not only incredible armor, but heavy weaponry and would present a much greater threat to a party than someone with that many, you know, heroic levels, but just standard weaponry. So it's very clear when you look at these non-heroic characters, what the designers did is they tried to account for more than just the abilities, but also the equipment these characters carried. Now, it's tough because you know you, you we don't look at we don't look at PCs that way, we don't look at heroes that way. But when you consider that the abilities of a non-heroic class are pretty bare, that kind of makes sense. So, something to, to kind of consider if you have a you know a a character with you know six levels in a in a non-heroic you know or or eight, but they've got gear that's much higher than someone else of their their non-heroic level. You may want to consider bumping that CL up. Um, the same goes true for beasts. Uh, there's also this beast level uh, which you can find uh, also in, in the core rulebook. Um, usually CL in most beast entries equating to the number of beast levels they have minus one. So if the creature has you know seven beast levels, uh, they'll usually be a CL six. Um, the only notable uh, discrepancy here is the reek uh, in the book, where eight beast levels equates to a CL of eight which is kind of odd, but when you consider the fact that the Reek, unlike some of the other beasts in there, has this incredibly powerful gore attack, um, as well as the ability to rage, its abilities are kind of above the norm, as well as its equipment, quote-unquote, its, its natural strike, um, is a bit higher as well. So I can see where they, where they upped that. And... Dave, I know this is a bit frustrating, and you've commented on this in the past, how there's just this kind of dearth of information... Do you think there's any type of of solution to this? I mean, off the cusp, using printed material? Um, well, no. I mean, not in so far as uh, any viable options for us to go out and buy. But no, I mean, there are some solutions if we turn our sites to the internet. This is very true. This is very true. And we want to take this time to mention a couple resources. Now, a couple of you guys have asked us for a few things. You know, hey, where can we get some of this stuff? There's a couple websites we'd like to point you to where you can get some some excellent material that's well beyond the scope of the printed material. Now, all this stuff is fan-generated and fan-based. And uh, I like to point out that these websites have links on the Order 66 uh, um D20radio.com. D20radio.com, the Order 66 page. Okay, um, If you go to D20radio.com, you can go to the link section. You can find these. Uh, the first one is um, no www, just http, you know, colon, slash, slash, sagaconversions.mattylee.com. That's M-A-T-T-Y-L-E-E.com. Um, this site, and there's been many users that have contributed to it, if you're looking, there are literally hundreds of 
and hundreds of pre-made NPCs of various CLs, all the way from zero up to like 19. Um, if you are a fan of the core and you want to play and put those those uh, characters in there from the books, you know, and such, they have so many of them on here. Um, you know, you know, Imperial Moffs, uh, you know, uh, Grand Admiral Thrawn, um, Jar Jar Binks. Uh, oh Lord. <laughs> Uh, stuff like that, as well as very basic stuff. Um, I, mean, I mean, even if you want to go into the past, they have they have fleshed out here, you know, various levels of Mandalorian warriors and soldiers and commandos, um, various Sith and dark side cultists, droids, and one of the other really exciting things. They they also posted a lot of starships on here as well. But again, this this was posted before the new um, Starships of the Galaxy book came out. Um, they also have pretty much a species conversion. One of the things I really miss about the prior edition was the fact that you had a, this wealth of races to choose from if you bought the Ultimate Alien anthologies. Well, what they have done on this site, and it's one of the first links they have, is they have converted every single race in the Ultimate Alien anthologies to SWSE. And you can see, and you know, again, this is all user-generated. This is not official, but looking through it, you know, and obviously you're going to want to use your best judgment here. Um, it all looks pretty well and pretty pretty well done. This is something I would do if I was asked to do it, and uh, it's it's very impressive material. It's it's incredible. Is 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 the only word that comes to mind, and and if if the guy's name is Matt Lee or or whatever derivation thereof. Uh, <laughs> Kudos to, to kudos to that guy, and uh, you know I just hope he listens to the podcast and knows we're throwing out props. But uh, sagaconversions.maddielee.com. There is a link on the D twenty radio page for the Order sixty six podcast, and um, that one, and, and we've got uh, letthewikiwin.com, which is also a dearth of knowledge. Yeah, I, I really it's it's uh, letthewikiwin.com, and again that's two e's on the end of wiki. For those of you who don't spell too well, <laughs> uh, let um, the uh, Keith Garrett, who, who runs that site, is an amazing blogger, and he's written a lot of really great stuff, a lot of you know fan user generated stuff regarding uh, you know many role playing systems as well as SWSE, and uh, he's got a lot of links on there and a lot of good material for you to draw from as well. And um, if you guys out there you know have your own sites that you run, if you'd like to recommend places for people to go to find you know fleshed out NPCs, encounters, adventures, we want to hear them we want to put them on the show for everyone to hear and get access to so please get on the forums uh email us and uh, we'll get that up there absolutely 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 okay hey you know what we have finally finally after a couple of weeks of asking we finally have a segment of when good games go bad Hey, don't forget Howard Dean. <laughs> oh, that was terrible. <laughs> I'm sorry. I didn't uh... even tell you I was going to do that. <laughs> you know, with it being primary season and all, and I hate politics in general, but, uh, you know, poor Howard got ostracized for his scream, so when good games you go bad. You scared me with that, man. I know it. Miss, oh. Miss... oh, that's just, uh. <laughs> anyway, we have a segment of when good games go bad. Yes, and uh, Ardith, uh, our poster out in Cheshire, England, he's been posting literally a great deal regarding a current campaign he's in, one of the many people that have been posting out there. Um, and this is the campaign that's taking place, uh, you know, the, the Order campaign taking place, you know, 4,000 years in the future. He also mentions, I really hope his GM is listening and, and manages to get on the forum and post kind of a counterpoint as to what's going on. I would love to hear Ar- from that guy. 
Yeah. Um, Ardeth posted a, a very frustrating situation he had in his last particular campaign. And without going into too much detail, you guys can go to the forum. You can read what's going on. But basically, they got put into a real situation where they were railroaded. And uh, in, at least according to Ardeth. And I'd, honestly, I'd really like his GM to come on so we can hear his side of it. But Ardeth basically says that they ended up in uh, you know some type of, of, of ship or station. And uh, they basically the, the party was sort of uh, set put down a particular set path um, and apparently all the doors and, and everything else in this in, in this place is made of unobtainium which is this amazing uh, alloy metal that uh, even a welding torch can't even get past now I don't know if uh, I, he didn't post on here Ardeth, I don't know if there's a Jedi in the party or not but I mean I would like to point out that I don't care how amazing it is um, a lightsaber does bypass all DR un- unless specified otherwise and of course this material is not listed in the uh, in the core rulebook so you know it may very well be you know a lightsaber may not be able to pass its DR because there are some things that say, you know, unless listed, you know, it doesn't pass. Right. But um, he was put, they were put into a situation where, by his own words, um, there's computer terminals everywhere that are, quote unquote, unhackable. Okay. Clearly, they have a slicer in the party. All right. They found a series of foot lockers with no locks, no visible way to open them. They tried everything from, you know, uh, using uh, dead guards' DNA to try and open it to uh, passing a key card over it to a simple crowbar, not to mention the, the cutting torch. And they couldn't open it, you know, um, trying everything they can to find some information about their environment and, and what's going on, uh, a map, anything. And it, the GM seems, in artist's opinion, seems to be doing everything that he can to keep them from finding anything out. Now, this is kind of the crux of, of this sort of talk right here. Uh, Dave, when do you think it's a good idea to railroad? <laughs> I, and, and, and when is it not? As a general rule, I don't think it's, any, it, it's ever a good idea to railroad because it frustrates your party. Um, sometimes it creates animosity, whatever the case may be. But it, the only time I would... I would call it focused guidance. You know, that if, if your party is going off in a direction that you don't want it to go, you present an obstacle that you have out of your game Bible that is so incredibly difficult that they will change their mind and not have to face the encounter and kind of gently coax them back into, um, into where you want them while still giving them the illusion that they made the choice to go down this road. Well, you know, this guy or this obstacle is going to be too time-consuming or it's going to be too hard or it's going to result in a TPK. So let's go back to the other decision. If they're, you know, talk about a decision tree, so to speak. Let's go back to the point where we made the decision to get where we are and go the other way. That's an excellent suggestion. And in my opinion, that's the best way it should be handled. Now, if... And this tends to result from GMs that, you know, uh, can't deal with that, you know, players going off the main plot. We see this a lot. It, you know, when you're having, when you're, when you're frustrated and you're difficult, it's difficult to think sometimes. It's hard to come up with solutions like that. Often it's just easier to say, you know, you, you can't open it. It's, it's unhackable. It's unbreakable. You can't, you can't, you know, you, I don't care how high your mechanic skill is. You know, the lock can't be opened. Um, you know, you, you, you can't hack the computer system no matter how high, you know, you, you slice. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't work. So, I don't know. It's kind of one of those things that it really, and as is clear from Artist's post, as Dave said, it frustrates the heck out of your players. Um, simply, you know, if you don't want them going down a particular, you know, section of, of bulkhead, environmental hazards. Blow it up. 
work work beautifully. You know what? Oh my gosh, there's a burst plasma pipe. There's fire raining everywhere. Um there's a leak in the reactor core. Uh you know, there's there's radiation going everywhere. And you know what? If your players still decide to brave it, treat it as an encounter. Reward them as such, you know? If they do um, right. Yeah. So I mean, it, it's it's one of those one one of those instances, and furthermore, just because you allow them to do something or access something, it doesn't mean they're going to get any useful information out of it. I had a, a GM once that flipped out because we at, we were trying to access an area of a ship that we were that we were in earlier than he planned us to. His 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 whole encounter um, storyline was you know fight you know these levels of mooks, levels of mooks, a room of mooks, you know a corridor of mooks, and then the last encounter of the game was going to be the boss, the BBEG. Well, we managed to get to the boss like second or third, and he basically you know basically wouldn't let us open the door. You know it's stuck. You don't know why. You know well okay. We're gonna burn through it with a lightsaber. Oh you you know you 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 think that would be a waste of your time? No, I don't. Uh, and it's one of those things that, he, and the only reason he was doing this is because, according to the little map he had drawn out on his graph paper, that's where the BBEG was. And it, you know, after the game, I had to go up to him, and I'm not going to use the man's name, but I had to go up to him and say, "You know, dude, why why did you do that?" And he explained to me, he says, "Because the boss is right there. I didn't want you guys to fight the boss yet." And I I just had to look at him and say, "Well, then move the boss." Right. You're the GM. It's your world. Put him in another place. You know, and when you're building encounters, this kind of relates back to that. I, honestly, I, I would recommend, you know, if you're going to use a map, that's great. Have your encounters pre-made. That's great. But don't put the encounters in a certain place. And, you know, that that GM kind of learned that from, from that example. But, yeah, when do you railroad? When do you not do it? My solution to you, Ardith, and, again, I hope your GM really gets on here and posts his side of it, is out of game, talk to your GM about it. If it's frustrating you that badly and it's frustrating the rest of the players, talk to your GM about it. It's clear from your post you guys play weekly or, or a little bit longer. Don't even do it the same day. You know what? Wait a day or five. And maybe even the night before the next session. And call your GM up. You know, Go visit him. And basically say, hey, man, you know, can I talk to you? you know, I was a little frustrated about this. I don't know what's, what you're wanting us to do. Why, why would you, you know, railroad us in that way? We feel like you know, we're, we're, we're useless. And if you express your concerns in an honest and open manner without accusing him of anything, but just saying, you know, what's up? You know, talk to him about it. Let him know your concern. If he is a good GM, he cares for the party, he'll tailor his campaign differently and avoid that kind of situation in the future. Right. You know, and bottom line, I'm thinking about this and I'm like, you know, let them open the footlocker. Let them find plans to wherever they are that if they know they turn left, that there is a trap there that is so insanely difficult that they will die and they're going to go the other way. You know, Absolutely. let them. You know, let them find something in in a Footlocker, and at least it gives them the opportunity to say, "Hey, we made the choice," and that's that's what I'm all about. You know, as a GM, key. let your party make the choice, and if they decide, "Oh, we're we're going to take on this insanely difficult thing," and they die, that was their stupid choice. It's kind of hard for the party to blame the GM for a TPK when they have the knowledge in their hand and they decide to do that anyway. Right. And that's an excellent point. So thank you for the post, Ardith. I'm really anxious to hear what happens. And again, I really encourage that GM to get on and post. We want to hear your side of it. Maybe there's a reason for this. That's we right. want to know. But either way, it's clear that a player was very frustrated by what he felt was railroading. And uh, that's something that can be avoided through good encounter design. And here's what I would love to throw out. It's obvious that Ardith is a listener of the show. So, Ardith, next week, we would love to have you and your GM on the show. I'm going to call an audible here. And we can accomplish this. I know that you guys are in England. 
about six or seven hours ahead of us. We can accomplish this on a Sunday afternoon, your time, and Skype you guys um, from Sunday morning here. So we're producing live on the show, but I don't care. That would be really fun to get two people on the show with different viewpoints, obviously, and talk about their adventure because that's what we're really going to do. And and we've got so much more to cover, and we're just about out of time that we're really going to have to put Adventure Building Part 2 next week. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think that's a great idea. For those of you who don't know, you know, Dave and I you know, live in different areas of the DFW uh, Metroplex, and we Skype this show from our own houses. Uh, we, you know, literally, we're not even in the same room. So, you know, again, we open call. You guys, please email us at uh, gmchris or gmdave at d20radio.com, and uh, we'd love to have you both on the show. That'd be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of time, we need to move on and try to contact TK421. Now, we're way late calling him, so this guy should definitely be at his post this time around, don't you think? I hope so. I hope so. Okay, we're late. TK421. <laughs> you got to be kidding. Oh, hey. hey, 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 guys. How y'all doing? All right. TK, buddy, you make me scared every once in a while. What's going on? Oh, man, oh, my head hurts something fierce, man. Oh, oh, I'll tell you. What happened? Well, uh, I, I'm, well, I can't really talk about where I am. It's kind of a secret, but uh, to put a long story real short, we, we, we pulled this ship in on the tractor beam, right? And uh, me and a couple other troopers, you know, we went down, and it was this this old, you know, uh, this brilliant cruiser job, and it was uh, kind of junky, but, you know, we, we were told to go in and, and take on whoever was on board, and, and we walked in, man, and the lights were off. It was just crazy, man. I couldn't see a darn thing, you know, not even with my my, 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 my wonderful helmet with its, its low light vision providing capabilities, and, and before I knew it, out of nowhere, uh, a big fur hand and claws clunked me up the top side of the head, and uh, I woke up later, man, naked. <laughs> Well, I have a feeling that our listeners are going to know exactly what happened and exactly where you are. But well, uh, as I said, I, I can't talk about that. I know you can't talk about it, TK, but uh, you know you bring up a good point there about scouts and their ability to conceal themselves, which I think is what you ran into in a low-light situation. So, you know, how are we going to balance I, I, I that sort of thing? I can't really talk about that, man. You know, I, all I know is, you know, big, big people should avoid big fur hair claws and, and not be running into junky old cruisers. That's all I got to be saying. Uh, I got to go find myself some new armor, you losers. So, uh, uh, y'all y- 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 be cool, you hear? All right, TK. Good to hear from you. Later on. Bye, well, TK. Well, well, well. It sounds like he found himself on the Millennium Falcon... When he, uh, somebody was like, hey, uh, hey down there, you give us a hand with this, and then whack. It certainly sounds that way. Well, uh, this is kind of a, a sort of end off our episode this week. We had a, a quick question brought up um, that we'd like to cover in our D20 docking bay, um, and it was brought, brought forth, as Dave said, by Tal Akan on the forums. And uh, it was regarding the scout's talent of total concealment uh, versus low light vision. Now, as a quick a quick reference, um, on page 49 of the core rulebook, uh, the total concealment talent, which is at the bottom of the camouflage talent tree uh, for the scout, is covered. And basically, in a nutshell... What it does is if you have this talent, any condition that would provide you concealment, such as uh, darkness or smoke or, you know, maybe you're, you're down in some heavy grass, or, you know, duck down or whatever, um, now would provide you total concealment instead. Now, mechanically, that means that you would go from a, your, your attacker would go from a minus two to attack you in that square to a minus five. 
um, which you know is is a, is a pretty big deal. Well, the problem is if uh, and this is the problem brought forth by Talakan. If a character or an opponent or perhaps a droid or somebody with technology has low light vision, which um, per uh, the rules um, is uh, ignores concealment, but not total concealment from darkness, how is this resolved? Because the fact of the matter is anyone can hide in darkness, and that's uh, you know if, if it's sort of you know just slight darkness, you know that's not considered total concealment. It's just concealment. You're kind of in the shadows. Well, low light vision negates that completely. Okay. Well, if a character has total concealment, um, even from just being in the shadows, uh, thanks to this talent, how does the light vision interact with that? I mean, if you want to talk about rules as written, raw, um, the low light vision wouldn't apply, strictly because per low entry for low light vision, um, it only applies itself to concealment, not total concealment. Dave, what do you think about this? I think that gets you into trouble, personally. Um I prefer to think of it as more along the lines of the, you have low light vision, which is going to negate a little bit of that total concealment ability. I think maybe a minus two is in order, perhaps, um, or we could go along the lines of of the condition that, that really gave you the concealment gets negated by the low light vision, so it's a wash. Yeah. You it's, know? it's a total wash, and, right. and that's that's kind of the way I look at it, too. Basically, the, the the condition that provided concealment to begin with, which was you know then improved by your talent, it is negated to begin with, with by the low light vision. So I mean, if you want to, you know, if if you're a GM and you got a player that comes to you and says, you know, ha ha ha, I am a scout with this talent, and you know I can hide in shadowy illumination, and stormtroopers with amazing helmets cannot find me. You know, I mean, you're you know he can point to these passages and jump up and down and scream, and raw it could be interpreted that way. But right. a way to you know another way it could be interpreted as well, and something that Dave and I both agree on, is that uh, as he said, the condition that provided that concealment that was improved by the talent went away by low light vision. So you are within your rights as a GM to say, you know, hey, this is this is not the case. And several of the forum posters out there also agreed when this uh, problem was presented. Right. Yep. Another problem solved by the amazing forum, the Order sixty six podcast. Thank yes, you and of course, that is d20radio.com slash forum. And uh, so go out there and, and be part of the problem or part of the solution. We prefer and, part uh, of the solution. We prefer part of the solution, yes. But again, without problems, we wouldn't have much of a show, would we? Not at all. Not at all. Well, we got a lot talked about this show. This ran awfully long, but we, we certainly got a lot of good stuff done. And again, didn't even scratch the surface of some of the stuff you guys presented. I know we're going to have a lot more to talk about later on. Um, we are going to continue next week uh, with our class discussion um, for at least a bit. And we're going to be moving on with, uh, with actually, the Scout. Um, speaking of this particular talent, um, and uh, we are also going to be talking, you know, again, I'm D20 Docking Bay, focusing on some of you guys' concerns. So, again, I'd encourage you to get out there on the forums and, and post and let us know what you'd like talked about. Right. And that, yeah, that is unless we can get Ardith and his GM on the show. I'd like to make that part of the, yeah, seriously, after, after our soldier discussion, I, yeah. I'd like to get them on if they're willing. I think that'd be fantastic. Yep. We'll see. We'll see what we can do. We'll we'll leave it open as to what our content will be next week. But uh, one way or the other, we will either have ourselves a class discussion or we will go further into game mechanics and GMing and all that good stuff. I think that's an excellent idea. Just as long as we're not caught screaming on the stage. Ah! Oh, there he is again. Oh man, too bad. I hate you, dude. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> I love it. What a great way to spend a Sunday evening. <laughs> and with that, I think it's time to sign off. Absolutely. I need to go All vote. Right. Gamer Nation, peace, D20 love, and good gaming. Radio, where gamers roll. Keep them dice rolling. This podcast and related websites are not endorsed by Lucasfilm Limited, 20th Century Fox, or Wizards of the Coast, and are intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. The official Star Wars site can be found at StarWars.com. The official Wizards of the Coast site can be found at Wizards.com. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, D20 logo, D20 system references, all named pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars-related items are registered trademark and or copyright of Lucasfilm Limited, Wizards of the Coast, or their respective trademark and copyright holders. All original content of this podcast and its related website, including graphical, textual, audio, and visual information, is the intellectual property of the Order 66 podcast. Thank you.